Hello, and a warm welcome to the EPO's Talk Innovation Podcast. I'm Edward Cook, a patent examiner at the European Patent Office. Recently, I had the pleasure to host the sixth episode in the EPO's Inspiring Inventors series. Each episode introduces an inventor, discusses the story behind their invention, and allows you, our audience, to learn from their experiences of bringing their invention out of the lab and into the market. This podcast episode is a recording of the conversation I had with Johan Martens, a professor of bioscience engineering at KU Leuven in Belgium and a co-inventor of a solar hydrogen panel. In this episode, we discuss a number of topics, such as golden hydrogen energy, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, how Johan's invention is fully autonomous, its suitability for different climatic conditions, the challenges of being a scientific researcher while developing a commercial product, the role of Pans in protecting his invention, and of course, the inspirational story behind the invention. Now, please join me in listening to Johan's insights. Welcome, Johan. How are you? Fine, and you? Yeah, good, great. Thanks Thanks for taking the time out of your day today to join us. And maybe we could start off with a, a brief overview of your journey into the world of innovation. So not only are you a professor of bioscience engineering, but I can see you're also a serial innovator. You're named as an inventor on 45 patent families. And I should point out to our audience that not all of these inventions relate to the solar hydrogen panel we just saw in the video. No, they include other inventions ranging from aquaculture to magnetic mixers to renewable energy storage. And also you've created a number of spin-off companies. So would you say that innovation is something that has always been in your blood, if you like, or did life just draw you towards it and you found yourself being an innovator? I believe it's something in your genes. Uh, you are born like that. Uh, even when I was still a child, I, I made inventions. I was inventing my toys. Uh, I was trying to cut wood uh, without the proper tools. Um, so my first idea was to become a carpenter. Um, finally, I ended up as a university professor. There's a bit of a disparity there, so I would say. <laughs> but, uh... But obviously, uh, the, the seeds that spark to to change things, to adapt things, was was always there. So uh, that that's yeah, that's interesting. It's always fascinating to know where inventors are coming from, whether it's something that they were just thrown into, or whether it's something they uh, they always had in their blood. Everyone in the audience probably is aware of how traditional solar panels work. So maybe you could explain to us a little bit what is the added value of your invention. Yeah, the traditional solar panels and our hydrogen panel look similar. And indeed, from the outside, it's similar. There is there is semiconductors and the semiconductors, they serve the production of electricity. So that's the similarity. But then our panels do much more than producing electricity. Inside the panel, this electricity is used to split water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen gas. And uh, where does the water come from? The water is trapped from the air, from ambient air. So there are super absorbers inside the panel which can capture water even when it doesn't rain. So the vapor, there is always water vapor in the air. That water vapor is the source of atoms for producing the hydrogen. So it is um, multi-functional, this panel. And that's the big difference. It also means that um, this complexity 
you need it's it's a lot of work to manage the complexity because there are all the functions producing the electricity capturing the water splitting the molecules uh, capturing the hydrogen avoiding the mixing of the hydrogen with the oxygen etc etc uh, that was quite a, an effort to get all this done in one and the same device but in the world, there are people doing even uh, things that go beyond what we did. We integrated everything at centimeter scale. Uh, some colleagues are trying to integrate the functions even at nano scale. And that's what modern nature also does in photosynthesis. There, everything is uh, present in one and the same leaf. So there's much to come in the future, I think. Okay, so when you say nanoscale, you're talking about a much smaller device at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We could have mini devices, uh, which are hydrogen panels, but miniaturized. Yeah. And one thing that struck me there when you were talking about the need for water, it, does that mean that your panels are uh, only suitable for specific climatic conditions, or can they be used then in, in, other, in all environments that we find? Well, since we combine the two functions, um, we can also tune the two functions. There are climate conditions. Well, the ideal climate condition is in tropical areas where you have uh, sunlight and little changes of the climate over the year, and you have lots of humidity. So that's that's ideal, tropical, subtropical conditions. But even more north or, or farther south, it can work because then we can tune it. We can maximize water capturing in play, at places where there is. That is the problem. That is the limiting factor. Or we could, on the other side, uh, when there's little sunshine, uh, maximize uh, the functioning of the semiconductors, such as to match uh, the, the water uptake. So we can tune panels for every climate. But at the moment, we limit ourselves to a standard panel, which, which can work more or less uh, at all conditions. Okay, so this would be something then for the future that you could do once you start mass producing, I guess, the, the panels. Another thing that struck me when I was listening to your colleague in the video was that he mentioned that this was not green hydrogen, this was golden hydrogen. What's the, maybe you can explain <laughs> the, the subtlety there? Yeah, well, the color, the golden color is, of course, uh, a golden medal, medal is, is nicer than a, a green one. No, but uh, seriously, why would we like to make a distinction between green and golden? That is because our device makes the hydrogen immediately with the sun. So you don't need an electricity grid. You don't need, so the green hydrogen is uh, produced mainly by uh, electrolyzers, which are equipments that, that do the chemistry, that split the water molecules, and they need to be fed with electricity. So in a conventional way of doing it, you have electricity production with solar parks or wind parks, and they are connected to these electrolyzers via uh, a grid, an electricity grid. So in our case, we do not have electricity grids. We don't need a connection to an electricity grid all is in the same uh, device the, the the electricity production and the water splitting that's why it is functioning directly with the sun and the sun is shining in a, with a nice color which is the golden color so that's mm -hmm. why our our machines are the first golden hydrogen producing machines uh, in the world but as i explained uh, there may be more coming when people go much beyond the integration we do, if they go smaller and smaller and smaller at nanoscale, this will be the ultimate uh, golden hydrogen machines. 
Okay, yeah, because I was actually going to ask that because, you know, when you think about traditional methods to extract hydrogen, they're typically very energy intensive and they require big facilities, often using precious metals. So how did you, how did you identify that hydrogen production as the domain itself might be suitable for something as small as a panel? Yeah, well, we were looking for a modular system such that if you, you can work with one panel and one panel produces hydrogen in Belgium, for instance, uh, six, six up to nine kilograms per year. Um, so you could al always use already one single panel. But if you need more, it's modular. You can place 100 panels, 1000 panels. Uh, 100,000 panels, etc. Just like you do with uh, photovoltaic panels, you can have mini panels for a small device and you can have huge, uh, huge installations, huge parks with many, many, many panels. So it's a bit inspired by the photovoltaic world that um, yeah, we, we, we made something similar that is uh, use, use, uh, use, useful in all, at all scales. Yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. I guess the point I was making was that, uh, you know, when you look at how hydrogen is produced and you see these massive facilities, it's difficult to envisage that you could actually cut away all that uh, extra stuff and just create the panel. So a bit of the inspiration came from the uh, from the fact that you wanted to have something similar to solar panels. Yeah, and that we can simply replace uh, the solar panels yeah. in the same fields with it. And about uh, noble metals, yeah, indeed. Uh, from day one, we decided we don't want to use uh, metals that are rare on the earth. So uh, we use common metals. We do not use, for instance, um, polymers or materials that uh, generate or where there is PFAS, the PFAS problem. So we try to make something that is really sustainable and that can be recycled such that it doesn't uh, generate new problems uh, at the end, uh, at the end of the life of the panel. Okay, and so there's a double edge there, I guess, because you're not only using something that um, has less environmental impact, uh, but you're also using easily affordable and abundant materials. So therefore, from a commercial point of view, that's probably advantageous as well. Yeah, we aim at something that is affordable to most of the people on this planet. Um, that's indeed one of the goals that it should be an energy source for everyone and not just for uh, and the, the, the people that can afford it. So the aim at the end is to have panels which can be mounted anywhere on the planet um, because they don't need any auxiliaries, any connections. And so, for instance, in the global south, this would be a solution for many people that have little access to, to convenient uh, energy vectors. Okay, and if we take a step back and we look at, um, for example, we consider the role of green hydrogen in helping us achieve the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And the ones that come to my mind are probably Goal 13, which focuses on combating climate change and its impacts. So obviously your panel is very, fits well into that that bracket, if you like. I imagine your invention could also be useful for other goals. Did you, do you consider this as well when you were developing the, the products? Mm. I'm glad you asked that question because I think our panel can indeed uh, uh, fulfill many goals um, of, of the DSG. Um, let's start with climate. It doesn't produce a, a CO2, so uh, no greenhouse gases, 
that's one. But that's the same for green hydrogen as well as uh, the golden hydrogen. But then on top of that, it will also provide energy to people that have no access to it. So it will help development. Um, also, it will replace the use, or we hope it will replace the use of wood and charcoal as an energy source for cooking, for instance. And then uh, clean cooking is one of the priorities also for health. The World Health, health Organization uh, pointed uh, at the problem of cooking with wood and charcoal. Uh, the fumes of those uh, fires, uh, they are quite toxic, and especially uh, women and, and children, uh, they, they suffer from that and their health is in danger uh, because of that. So the clean cooking with hydrogen uh, would solve that problem. And yet another problem, because if people use less wood and charcoal, the deforestation will also be uh, solved because now people are cutting trees, cutting, uh, collecting wood for cooking. Um, then there will be no, no longer a need for that. So that it could help uh, about 3 billion people on the planet uh, to get access to clean energy. That's, yeah, it's so... So when we think about that, how does it work with respect to the storage? Because we know that um, often energy is, uh, can't be consumed where and when it's produced. So instead it needs to be stored and maybe transported. So the use of hydrogen here is, is an alternative to the use of batteries. Is that what you're saying? And what advantages would, does hydrogen give us over batteries, for example? Yeah, well, batteries are devices where the electrodes are separated by a certain distance and the minimum distance is in the order of micrometers. Now, that's quite different from fuels. Fuels consist of molecules and the distance between atoms in molecules, that's 10,000 times smaller, a smaller dimension. It is nanometer and sub nanometers, tens of nanometers uh, a distance. So you can pack the energy much more densely when you use a fuel uh, compared to when you use electricity. So that's why batteries are very big and very heavy, heavy and the energy density is much lower than in a tank with fuel. Now, hydrogen is a special fuel. It is a gas. Uh, it's a quite small molecule and uh, difficult to, to handle. Uh, one way to do it is to compress. And in the uh, uh, applications, for instance, in the auto automotive uh, world, so then the compression of the gas is done at 350 bars. Even for passenger cars, the hydrogen needs to, co to be compressed to 700 bars. 700 bars means 700 times the atmospheric pressure. So that's a huge compression. And each time you compress with a factor two, you uh, diminish the volume with a factor two. So this way you, in fact, uh, can minimize the, the volume. Now, if volume is not an issue, you can also store the gas, uh, let's say in, uh, at, at a slight overpressure in, in bags, big bags, like used today for biogas. For instance, if you produce biogas, biogas um, can be stored in big bags. And then from there, they can be, um, uh, 
stored in, in or transferred to smaller volumes, etc., etc. So we are thinking, so our hydrogen panel is a high-tech thing, but we are thinking of low-tech application of a high-tech invention. And let me explain that. So if we don't need pressure and we have space, we could store the hydrogen simply at slightly over pressure. For instance, half a bar over pressure could be enough. Our panel produces the hydrogen at 1.5 bar, so 1.5 atmospheres. And so it can flow into a big bag. We can inflate a big bag. So we can uh, imagine we have a hydrogen filling station where we have hydrogen panels and a, and a big bag collecting all the hydrogen that is produced. And then customers could come along and fill, for instance, backpacks or uh, another idea we have is, for instance, the tubes, the inner tubes of tires of trucks. These tubes, uh, these, they can be inflated with hydrogen gas. The idea is not to inflate uh, the, 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 the tires of the, of the car of, or the truck. No, no. Mm -hmm. It's a way to transport hydrogen in a very efficient and easy way. And one of the applications we are thinking of is, for instance, for refugee camps or areas where there has been a disaster like um, earthquakes or floodings or whatever, where everything is destroyed. Well, in such locations, you could immediately have an energy source. You could uh, mount uh, the hydrogen panels. You don't need any connections, no electricity grid, no even no water supply. So they work. As soon as you put them somewhere, they start working. When you need daylight. That's the only condition. And then you have uh, immediately a source of water for cooking, for heating, uh, or even to transform it again into electricity. So it's quite convenient, convenient system, I think, uh, to help people uh, all around the world, which are in, in danger, we, which are short, short of, of, of supplies of, of energy. Yeah, that's amazing because, we, you know, two things struck me there was the first one was the issue we have with batteries after they've been used. So we have to get rid of them somehow. So that's a problem for the environment. So that's addressed there. And then it's the simplicity of simply loading up a bag with hydrogen and then bringing it away to, to use it as energy is also incredible. Yeah, I didn't. It's much lighter than wood. Yeah? If you need to carry wood yeah. or you need to carry hydrogen, I would know what to choose. <laughs> I know what is the lightest. Yeah. And when you're talking about storage, obviously, because hydrogen is a fuel and fuels are flammable, and this can be obviously dangerous in, in closed spaces. What uh, what issues were brought up there? What did your what do you have to deal with to to avoid yes. those kind of problems? Yeah, indeed. Uh, any energy vector is dangerous. Also, electricity is dangerous. All gases, uh, all, all fluids, all uh, fluidic uh, gases, everything can be dangerous. So with hydrogen, uh, you need to be careful, of course. And that's why um, also in our research from day one, uh, all these issues were taken care of. And uh, till now in our research, we never had an accident. Keep, keep fingers crossed, touch wood. But um, you know, there are ways to handle hydrogen in a safe way. Uh, for instance, the clean cooking, uh, when, when I'm talking about uh, these, clean, these, these uh, cook stoves, they can be, be made uh, safe. And if you do it in the open environment, hydrogen is so light that it's a gas that escapes easily and goes up 
into the sky where it is transformed into water again so there is no pollution and the, we can minimize the risks of explosions or fires. Okay, yeah, so yeah, that, that obviously solves a lot of issues, the fact that it's safe for the environment so when it escapes back up, it can simply be go back into the cycle again. Yeah. So I imagine that um, over the course of the development of this technology, you probably had to be a bit pragmatic and maybe you found um, scientifically interesting concepts, but you had to put them to one side to focus on what you were trying to achieve, which was this solar hydrogen panel. Did you find this part of the process challenging, given that you're not only an inventor, but you and your co-workers are also scientific researchers? Yeah, well, you need a team with two types of researchers, I would say. So uh, you have the curiosity-driven researchers that try to understand phenomena, and there are solution, uh, the problem solvers, the problem solvers. That's a, a, a different profile. A solvent problem, uh, a problem solver will always look for a solution and will rely on those curiosity uh, driven researchers uh, where he will find the information and find the ideas on how to solve a problem. So in my lab, we are going from the most fundamental research to the most applied. And it's that uh, long chain with researchers with all profiles um that makes uh, that guarantees success so sometimes we need to go back to the fundamentals when we are stuck with a problem uh, you really need to go back to the fundamentals and can, maybe you need to ask a very fundamental question where you need a full phd to solve it it also explains why it took us 15 years to develop this hydrogen panel it's not something you invent at night and in the morning uh, <laughs> you assemble one and there it is it was a very long process with many hurdles that needed to be overcome and um, finally it was through such a combination of fundamental research and, and applied research uh, that we could achieve our goal so 15 years, you say, and uh, how many prototypes were you, are we talking about here? Did you have like one oh, a year? Or... I can't count it. At the beginning, it was very small scale. And I remember the moment. So we, we mounted a cell uh, that didn't look like this panel at all, but we mounted it on the roof of our building. And we went up, uh, we, we got uh, the permission to, to do it on the roof of the building uh, in the sunlight. And we were so happy that a little bit of hydrogen was produced in, in that system. So just using air and, and sunlight. So that was the moment when we believed in it. We had, so <laughs> we hardly could see the signal of, of the hydrogen we produced in a mass spec, a mass, mass spectroscopy. That's something very sensitive. Well, even there, we had to look carefully. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We, we see some hydrogen and then of course yeah the enthusiasm grows but at the beginning it was hard so many many things failed and that's when you need uh good good co-workers that do not give up and uh, that continue despite sometimes yeah you get disappointments and, and failures um yeah, that's 15 years for new technology it's typical that you need many years from from an idea to to the final uh, product. Yeah, we cannot accelerate this process, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's standing standing on the shoulders of giants is what they say. So you you you're continually working on stuff and trying trying to improve it. What fascinates me there a bit is the team the team you spoke about. So we saw your colleagues in the video. So they're obviously um, maybe maybe they're one kind of inventor. I don't know. Maybe they're the kind that, that looks at uh, as you mentioned are more pragmatic and try to solve a problem. So when you're building a team. Do you have that in your mind? You go, okay, like I like the, I like this girl, I like this woman, for example, a researcher, because I can see she's kind of going to bring X to the team, and that's going to help us get forward. Is that something you, you're thinking about as well? Yes, somehow I'm attracting people with the same mindset as, as me, and that's you cannot explain, you cannot search for it. Uh, okay. So one day uh, a student was knocking on my door and I didn't know who it was and I said, oh, okay, uh, this is not a good moment. Uh, could you come back because uh, I'm, I'm busy in a meeting and, and then they came back two or three times and then I said, yeah, what? Yeah, I would like to make my PhD with you. So yeah, but, yeah, why and how uh, did you follow my courses or did I? No, no, he said, but no, but no, but I, I, I know, I, I heard about your your uh, solar panels and yeah, I'm so intrigued and yeah, and then we started talking and okay, that was a guy with the right motivation. I never go and look for students. Uh, yeah, I'm so lucky that they come to me. Okay, so as you say, maybe it, maybe you have an aura. And you attract people. <laughs> Maybe, yes, or I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I know that you're obviously no stranger to the patent process because you have your name on so many inventions. Um, can you tell us how important um, patenting your invention was uh, to the development of the solar panel and also to maybe commercialization and setting up a, a company? Yeah, patents are very, very important. Uh, two ways. The first one is... Well, when you invent something like this, it can be used many ways. And you could also have uh, users which which we uh, don't like to favor, like in, in military, uh, offensive military applications. You can imagine that such a panel can be interesting for an army or for if you need to deploy somewhere uh, an army that you get an energy source uh, for free. So that's, of course, not the way we want to go. Um, we prefer to to offer it uh, to people uh, in order to to save our planet, uh, to do something good for the planet instead of uh, yeah having some people abusing uh, the the, the um, technology for for other courses. So yeah, that's one reason why patent because having the patent, we can uh, decide. How to use it? Huh? Where where will will be uh, which market? Uh, where will we uh, sell these panels over the panels, etc. So that's one. Second is also yes, we need money of course to to develop it and to commercialize it. So yeah, we need investors and investors. Yeah, they they look at the IP and what is IP? Yeah, there is hardware, there is know-how. And there are patents. So without patents, we would never have succeeded to attract uh, investors to invest in our story. Yeah. And did you get help in that process? I know you work in, um, a, re in a university, as we mentioned already. Was there a tech transfer department there that was able to give you some advice on, on how to go forward? Yeah, here in Leuven, in Belgium, we have a very good tech transfer office. In fact, it was founded in 1972. It was one of the earliest, I think the earlier 
the earliest uh, tech transfer office in Europe. And um, so the Leuven is also famous for uh, innovation in the rankings of uh, the Reuters, Reuters rankings of most innovative universities. Uh, Leuven is always on top and uh, in Europe it's number one. Uh, there are just a few American universities that are better. But I think globally we are at, uh, at the fourth, uh, at position four. So, which is uh, this, this environment here at our university, it really stimulates us and helps us and supports us not only in patenting, but also in, in, the, in the way forward to uh, commercialization, to valorization of research. So that's why I like to be in Leuven, because uh, everything is fantastic in this respect. Okay, it's it's great here that the tech transfer was able office was able to help you. I mean, those kind of offices are all over Europe in in numerous universities. So innovators then don't have to deal with um, trying to figure out this puzzle themselves. They can go somewhere and and get advice. And as you say, I mean, patents are only one part of the IP puzzle, uh, an important part. And for someone like you or someone who wants to have control over their invention. So as you mentioned, you see this invention is for the planets, not just for profits. So patents give you that ability to be able to make these decisions yourself. So maybe you can touch a bit on what you mean and your, when, you, when you stated that, that it was for the planet and not just for profit. Yeah, well, we created uh, a company with the name Solid, Solar Hydrogen, Solid or Solheit the way you, you want to produce it, pronounce it. And uh, also a foundation, a charity foundation called Solid Air, Solid Air, like Solidarity, Solid Air. And um, so the Solid Air Foundation, they have a license on the technology and can apply the technology for impact, uh, for generating impact. This, so the Solid Air Foundation uh, will... Um, organize the um, implementation of the hydrogen panels, for instance, in refugee camps. In refugee camps, that's really uh, where, where the need is high, where we could make a difference. Also the Red Cross, uh, when there is a catastrophe like an earthquake, like in Morocco lately, our panels, we are not yet there, but if we would have enough panels and, and produce enough panels and have lots of it available, uh, then it could immediately help people that are uh, where the homes are destroyed, that are living in tents, etc. It could be a, a, a nice way to provide energy. And if you provide energy, you can also provide water. So we could make sure that these people uh, can survive, and, and, and especially in the, four day, in the first days, um, it, it can cover the, the basic needs of, of people. That's that's why we would we, we split it up in solid a company producing the panels and doing a business business like usual and a foundation that is uh, taking care of the impact uh, stories, impact processes. Okay, and that links then back to you what you were saying about the ease of the storing the energy and transporting it around, like for example in bags and or inflatable tires or things like that. Okay. 
And you mentioned there the commercialization parts of your solid um, project. Um, and you've recently, I know you've recently moved out and you've started to establish pilot production lines. So what challenges do you see for your product as you scale up in production? Because this is often an issue. It's fine to create one or two prototypes, but then when you have to mass produce, you find maybe it's too expensive or other challenges. So what, what do you consider might be these challenges? Yeah, well, Still, there are challenges, of course. At the moment, we are able to produce a limited series of panels, like uh, two panels, five panels, ten panels, and that's a typical volume we produce. We do it manually, making the panels quite expensive. So the big challenge is to go to automation. But when we talk to experts, they say, don't go to automation before your product is really well-developed, whether it's robust and the, the way you make it, you, you made the final decision on how to com, uh, which compounds and how to assemble this. Uh, so these are crucial things before you can go to uh, automation. But once we would go to automation, and our plan is to do that in the years 2026 up to 28, yeah, then we of course can, can generate, uh, once, once it is robust and you make, so our idea is really to grow exponentially the world really needs it, uh, both here uh, in the West as in the global South. Uh, I think the panels, we could, we need billions of panels, just like the solar panels. Okay, and when you talk now, looking towards the future, you said in the, in the future we need billions of panels. What do you think um, your next steps are as an inventor and an entrepreneur? Do you see yourself now committing to this solar the solid project or, or do you still have multiple ideas flying around your head that you want to yeah i can't help it <laughs> <I would, laughs> okay that, that was it but uh, i can't help it <laughs> we are working on another project and that is uh, just to produce fresh water uh, from atmospheric uh, moisture at the moment so in our solar panels in our hydrogen panels we collect water vapor for splitting it into uh, hydrogen and oxygen, but we could as well develop a panel or a device that is trapping water from the air, uh, water vapor, and transforming it, transforming it into uh, fresh water. Uh, with the climate change, we have the problem of drought. Uh, even in Europe, we have, uh, like in Spain, etc. Uh, yeah, shortage of water is upcoming at many places in the world, and this would be a way to produce water also locally. Uh, with the same concept, the concept we always use is make it with sunlight and air. And so from sunlight and air, with the water that is uh, contained in the air, that water, even if it doesn't rain or whatever, you can collect it in an energy efficient way. It should, of course, be energy efficient, but we think we can come close to the energy that is required for desalination. So one way to produce fresh water is from yeah. seawater and removing the salt. Um, we have uh, we are developing something that has the same energy efficiency as desalination. So instead of going to the sea and having long tubes, needing long tubes to transport all that water inland, you could also, or you could complement it with a um, uh, local production, like we do with uh, hydrogen. Next to hydrogen panels, we could have systems that produce water. And once you have water and an energy source, of course, then you can develop a society. You can, it, you can even in the desert, you you could again uh, start uh, with agriculture, with uh, and and making 
making life possible. So we, we see a future with these two challenges. If, if we can contribute even only a little bit, that, that could make a difference, we think. Yeah, that's fascinating. And then again, I guess you're going to have to adapt them for the different environments, like you mentioned. So if you're in a desert, it's going to be more difficult to extract the water from the air. Than, than yeah. yeah, but deserts at night can be cool. Uh, mm. So in the day, and the water content of air in a desert, um, so the relative humidity during daytime, it may uh, over the day, it may change a lot from night to day. Uh, uh, when there is uh, at the hottest moment, you can have a relative humidity of 20%, but the absolute humidity can be high. And then at night, when the temperature, the air temperature uh, decreases again, uh, the relative humidity goes up. So there are ways to trap water anywhere, even in deserts. Of course, we should not exaggerate and go to the driest air <laughs> place on Earth. Yeah. But in semi-deserts, etc., I think our technologies can work. And if we look a little bit now into the crystal ball, um, what do you expect to see the next big thing in this domain, either in the green hydrogen market or just the renewable energy? Maybe you have your finger a bit more on the pulse what's, of what's research that people are doing. Yeah, well, everyone is emphasizing nowadays on electrification. Uh, electrification is the magic solution uh, for the energy problem. Maybe for the moment, yes, but I think uh, hydrogen will catch up and uh, green hydrogen together with uh, the golden hydrogen. Uh, these two vectors of energy will, in my opinion, it will take a few decades more, but will be as important as electricity. So today we also have fuels next to electricity and it's about 20% electricity, 2025, and 75% is still fuels. Our energy needs are covered by fuels rather than electricity. So this may evolve to 50-50, 50-50, 50% electricity, 50% fuels, by 2050 um, but the nature of the fuels will change it will no longer be gasoline diesel etc rather it will be hydrogen maybe uh, also ammonia or uh, uh, methanol ethanol etc so there are completely new fuels that will pop up that's to me the next uh, the next wave the next uh, yeah move in in the energy scenario because look at cars, an electric car is very heavy because of the batteries. Yeah, to move a person of 80 kilograms, you need a car of 2.5 tons. Something is not logic. Yeah. You, it should, yeah. We need to move uh, a ton of battery, 1000 kilograms of battery to move a person of 80 kilograms. Mm. That's, that's, well, there's something, <laughs> logic, yeah. not logic in this in this story so it cannot be the final solution electrification of course electrification is important for some applications etc etc but next to it you need always a fuel also a fuel type system that's my okay, vision so for the future mm. yeah no that's i i mean i think everyone in the audience can agree with you there you know especially when we deal with hybrid cars that can only travel 30 or 40 kilometers and then you're driving a battery around for the rest of the time i mean it, what you're saying makes perfect sense in that there has to be a better way. 
Uh, okay, so before we open the discussion to the audience on social media and Slido, I guess there's one final question I would like to ask you, and that is, do you have any, let's say you're looking back and you're seeing a younger Johan who is now 20 years old, who's starting off in the innovation process. He's decided not to become a carpenter. He's decided to become an innovator. What advice would you give them? Maybe something that you wished you'd gotten, some advice you wish you'd gotten when you started out? Well, uh, well trust, trust that you can do it, that, that you can make a difference. That's my message to the youngsters, to the new Johans. Uh, it's you are i also was hesitating when i was young can i do this well uh, am i am i uh, too stupid or <laughs> do i think it's easy or whatever so yeah i would say trust yourself believe in yourself don't think you are too young uh, because what i regret is that i the first years in my academic career i didn't go that far and i didn't well i was working with with industries mainly and i made inventions quite important inventions um, that are now used everywhere in the world but um yeah this made me think why why can't i do it uh, in another way and instead of uh, helping companies which is of course uh, very nice but uh can I create my own companies and could I go and, and uh, make the choices of the research topics myself? And that's, I, I started doing this when I was 40 and uh, now I'm 65. So I hope I can go on for, for 60 more years, but uh, maybe difficult. 20 years would be nice to achieve my dreams. Okay, that's, that's good advice. I think everyone can use that advice no matter what domain they work in. Believe in yourself and start early. Okay, so let's move then towards the questions from the audience. Um, I'm now looking at Slido, and the first question I see here is related to teamwork. And the question is, how is how important is teamwork for an inventor? Um, yeah, an invention, you cannot make an invention with 10 peoples. What, what is an invention? At a certain moment, yeah, it's literally that you see a light, a light bump, uh, shining up and say, oh, huh? so suddenly you have a, a genius idea. That's an invention. And often you have that when you're alone. Me personally, I have it in my bed at night and that's, that's terrible because I want to sleep at night, but my brain continues working. And that's, that's when sometimes other inventions, um, you make them with a team but the team will be two, three people. You cannot sit in a room with 10 people and make an invention. I, I don't think this works. What is important is to develop uh, to the idea, to translate an idea into something real. Yeah, then you, of course, need a team. And um, yeah, you should reward the team with all that effort. But, but an invention with 10 or 20 inventors, mm, that's also, well, I, it's a bit suspicious, I would say. So the team is really important then to get the thing done, get it, get it, get yeah. it working, maybe even get to the prototype stage. But the invention itself yeah. normally comes from one of the, yeah. Okay. Yeah, or, or from a brainstorm session, but the brainstorm yeah. you don't do with 10 people. A brainstorm is, is with two, three people. That's why the, the hydrogen panels, there are more inventors like with Jan and Tom. Uh, you, you've seen Jan and Tom in, in, in the movie. Well, the brainstorm was, uh, we, we were sitting together when we got the idea together. Why, why, why don't we use the water from the air? And that's, that's okay. 
and that's why they are they are also co-inventors of this okay and the next question i see here is uh first of all praising the sustainability of the solution and then asks what is the stability of the semiconducting and the absorption materials and secondly what about the power conversion is it worth the effort uh for this for the first one well can you repeat the question sorry yeah so it says what is the stability of the semiconducting and the absorption materials yeah the stability of a panel at this moment uh, we are testing panels outside in belgium and uh, so yeah we cannot have tests over 10 years because they they exist only since uh, well in, in a reasonable manner since since a couple of years but the ones that are outside they survive uh, a whole year uh, without intervention so they survive the winter with freezing moments uh, they survive uh, hot days in the summer and they keep on working so yeah, we have been working hard to get it robust. Robustness is even more important than uh, efficiency, I would say, because if something uh, dies after a couple of months, makes no sense. It should be something very robust. And that's that was first priority to make it robust. And that's why we, we claim for, we could do better in efficiency, but for today we say three kilograms is the minimum. Uh, can go up to depends on depending on the climate up to six kilograms of hydrogen per panel per year but we do not exaggerate on on the efficiency we do not aim at maximum efficiency no we aim at uh, maximum durability maximum lifetime and that's the first question and the, the second part was um the, about the power conversion was it worth the effort so what how, how much energy i guess is, is required to convert the whole, to convert the, but it comes from the sun, doesn't it? The energy is. That yes, it? yes. So we don't need any. Well, we need the sun, the sun, but yeah. the sun is our main energy uh, source on Earth eh? by far. You have yeah. sun, we, sunlight. There's enough sunlight, so and our conversion rate at optimum condition, solar energy to hydrogen is fifteen one five percent. So it's it's high. A, a photovoltaic panel does 20, 25, but it makes electricity. And then it's difficult to, to you can use it immediately and then it's fine. But if you need to store that electricity, you run into problems. Mm. So we have 15% efficiency from sunlight to, so from solar uh, radiation on the panel to energy contained in the hydrogen we produce so this is quite is sufficient we could go higher eh, by improving the semiconductors using fancy semiconductors we could go maybe to 20 30 percent but then that would be very expensive then you need we need special materials and we don't want to do that we want to have uh, a commodity a panel which is uh yeah cheap and everywhere available Okay, so the next question is actually, I think, linked to that. It asks, does all the produced electricity go into water splitting or what do you do with the excess electricity? And do you recover the oxygen produced as well? Yeah, well, uh, so you always have losses. Huh? Any process you do, so we lose a bit of electricity in the different steps we do. But our efficiency of using the electricity for splitting water is quite high. It's 75 up to 80%. And why is this? This is because we integrate all functions at very close distance. So the, the losses 
why electricity transportation. We do not need trans, uh, ACDC trans, uh, conversion, etc., etc. So we we have lots of ways to make it very efficient. And then the idea of uh, collecting the oxygen, that's very interesting because uh, we could also make a medicinal uh, oxygen, for instance, for hospitals. Uh, if we think uh, of emergencies and, and the Red Cross uh, uh, needing oxygen for patients, we could produce also uh, enriched air, enriched with oxygen, or for aquaculture, etc. That oxygen is very precious. For the moment, we our panel does not collect the oxygen. We uh, give it back to the air. So it's evacuated into the air, but that's the next the next idea also to collect the oxygen and use the oxygen. And that's indeed a, a well, that's a plus if we could do that. But for the moment, mm. it would uh, be too complex. We don't want to solve all the problems at once. So yeah. first challenge is to have a robust, cheap hydrogen panel, and the next phase will be that we have oxygen production um, in addition to the hydrogen. Good idea. Absolutely, we agree. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the next question, I think, is looking forward a bit. It asks, um, when do you foresee the panels appearing on the market? And what would you predict could be a commercial price for one panel? And then they follow this up by saying, uh, what is would be expected life duration of one panel? So I think now that what they're talking about is a projected when the commercial panel yeah. is available. Not a, not, yeah. Yeah, in our business plan, and you know, business plans of a, of a company are always a bit optimistic, but in our business plan, we would have the first commercial panel in 2026, starting commercialize. And then in 2026, we will um, we plan a new uh, production facility, a production facility where indeed we can make thousands of panels. So that's from 2026 on. Uh, we we foresee to to be able to deliver panels. Uh, we will not supply immediately to customers. It will be more a B two B business because it's then yeah we cannot do that uh, and serve everyone with panels. Of course, we need intermediate uh, actors to to do that. Um, now, uh, ultimately, the the lifetime. So the lifetime of the panel, uh, we expect it to be 10 years, but we also have an idea about maintenance that should be plug and play. Very simple, if some files are failing or just after 10 years, you replace some parts, uh, even if they still function. So that's the idea, 10 years, 10 years for a panel, uh, a lifetime. And we think it's realistic based on our uh, current observations of lifetimes. And uh, if we extrapolate what we have seen after one year up to 10 years, we are confident that we have something solid, like the name of our, <laughs> our company, Solid. And I guess the price prediction would be similar to what we see on today's market with solar panels. So initially probably a bit more expensive and then as more uptake occurs, then they become cheaper. Is that what you yes, and we, yeah, absolutely. And we foresee or we extrapolate that golden hydrogen will be cheaper than green hydrogen because we don't rely on the prices of electricity. We, uh, green hydrogen will all, always depend on the price of, of green electricity because you need that to feed the electrolyzers. So independency, autonomy 
is a plus for these panels we are producing. You do not depend on anybody. You have your own energy supply. And then, of course, so it's an investment in, in CAPEX, but the OPEX will be minimal. And that's different in the green, uh, green hydrogen story, where you have an important OPEX also. You need to operate these big plants and these electrolyzers. Okay, and the last question I see here is more general. It asks, will hydrogen be the fuel of the future replacing fossil energy for all uses? And then it asks, I think you touched a bit on this second question. Can we use hydrogen gas at home in the small scale? I mean, will it work like electricity, for example, to turn on a light to charge a phone? Yeah, well, I believe hydrogen will be, will be important in the future, of course. Whether it will replace all other vectors of uh, like electricity, no, no. It's today we also have a mix, a mix of energies. We we have electricity, we have all kinds of fuels, we have heat. That will not change. There will be always a mix, an energy mix. But in that energy mix, the share of hydrogen will certainly increase in the decades uh, to come. And for the households, um, yeah, you could have, we, we've calculated, for instance, we've estimated that you could have an independent home uh, if you have a combination of photovoltaic panels. And uh, for instance, in, in, in uh, the European climates with winters and, and summers, which are quite different with uh, and so sunny uh, summers and, and winters with, with hardly any sunlight. So there you could use the hydrogen panels to produce the energy for the winter. For the, so you produce it in the summertime for the next winter. And in that winter, uh, so you store that hydrogen and then that hydrogen can be used to produce anything in a uh, fuel cell, you produce electricity and heat. So you can use the heat for heating your home, for heating the water and the electricity for the, the, when you need electricity. So yes, it's possible with a combination of uh, PV panels and hydrogen panels to be energy independent. Now today it will still it will be a bit a complicated uh, installation, but you could think of it uh, for a village or for a, 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 an apartment building, etc., where you share this equipment with, with other, uh, other users. For, for instance, for a car, a hydrogen car, one panel, with one panel, you could fuel your hydrogen car once a year. So if you need to fuel 20 times, you need 20 hydrogen panels. That's a rough way to, to estimate how good or what you can do with a hydrogen panel. Okay, well, Jan, we've come to the end of actually all the questions that uh, are there. So um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, I'm sure, to be with us. And uh, we wish you all the best um, in your future endeavors. The next episode of Inspiring Inventors will be on the 6th of March, where we'll be in conversation with Avelino Corma, winner of the Lifetime Achievement category at the European Inventor Awards. 2023. Please check out the Inspiring Inventors page on the EPO website for further details. Once again, thanks for listening. We look forward to welcoming you next time on Talk Innovation, the EPO podcast.